that one verse said about singing and how it's a, a joy to the Lord when we lift our voices. And you know what, what it is when we sing praises or we sing songs to him. Do you know what that's a form of? It's a form of prayer. It's a form of, of we're praying. What did, how did David pray sometimes? He, he wrote songs. He wrote hymns. He prayed through music. And, you know, we can do that through music just as well as through talking. And it's funny that that came to mind since we're going to be talking about prayer today. So Jesus, or Jesus told his disciples how to pray. And how, what was that? It was the Lord's Prayer, wasn't it? So we're going to go ahead right in real quick. We're going to start with the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to go from there. It says, and when you pray, you shall not... Wait a minute, I'm looking at the wrong thing. I got David's script up here, and I need mine. So Matthew 6, 5 through 15, this is the New King James. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So what does that mean, in the secret place? What do you think that is? Your heart's what I take it to be. Who can see in your heart? Only God. Can Satan see in your heart and know what's in your heart? Absolutely not. Only God can see into your heart. To me, that's the secret place. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, then, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. We say this prayer every week, don't we? And we just said it. Who remembers when they first learned this prayer? Do you know when you first learned this prayer? You've got your hand up. If the what? They can see the muscle and the blood and the cells, but they can't see the feelings of your heart, the, the, the things that make you you. They can't see into your soul, can they? They don't know. They might cut into any heart, but they're not going to know what you're like, what your personality is, what your thoughts are. Only God can. Anybody else remember when they learned the Lord's Prayer? When you, when you came here, you learned it by repeating it, didn't you? Where's Anna? It took me longer than it should have, and I remember coming out one day and being like, we say this in church, and I don't know it. You need to teach me right now. <laughs> John? In schools. You're telling your age. <laughs> Judith? So you learned in school too. Okay. Anybody else? When you remember the Lord's Prayer? Or when you learned it? Who said that, Frankie? In the first grade. 
So we all have learned it somewhere along the line, didn't we? I can tell you when I learned it. When we lived out on Williams Road and I was a little kid, we had a telephone that was mounted on the wall in the corner, kind of in the corner, so it was out just a little bit from the corner, and there was a cabinet over here, and the countertop was here, and there was a cabinet, and there was a corner shelf, and Mom had a little porcelain little thing that had, it looked like a Bible or a book, and it had violets on it, and it had the Lord's Prayer written on it. And I would climb up on that shelf and get on my hands and to my knees and look up there and read that until I had it memorized, because I wanted to know what that was. Even back as a child, I can remember, I want to know what that is. I want to know how to pray. Because, you know, we don't all know how to pray, do we? It's not something that for some comes naturally. For some it does, but for others it may not. Some people think it's very difficult to pray. They're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But God has given us a template, a platelet, a recipe, if you will, as to how to pray. You guys know that telephones used to be mounted on a wall or had to sit on a table? A rotary dial. Yeah. He doesn't know what it's called, but he knows what you do with it. Yeah, phones used to be attached to a wall. Times have changed. So anyway, our prayer, the Lord's Prayer is a, a template for how we're to pray. It gives us the things that our prayers need to include, uh, an order even of how to offer them. So why do we memorize it? Why do, you, why do we memorize the Lord's Prayer? It's simply so that we can know how to pray and the fact is, there's going to come a time in your life when you're not going to know how to pray, when the words aren't going to come. In a crisis of your life, it may be you're in a car and you're getting ready to veer off the road and you're not going to know how to pray. Or, or maybe you've fallen and you're hurt and you just nothing will come. Or There's going to be some emergency and you're not going to have the words. But the Lord's Prayer is going to come to your mind. Sometimes all you're going to be able to say is, Oh Lord, or Oh God, or Oh Jesus, or Help me, or Please. When Jennifer was sick, it was, God, you are so good. There were days that's all I could say. God, you are so good, because nothing else is going to come out. But there's going to come a time when you're going to want to pray, but the words aren't going to come. But those words will. And God will honor what's in your heart. It may not come out of your mouth the way you want it to, but if he's going to honor it. If you're trying to pray, God will honor your words. Even if it's a recited prayer like the Lord's Prayer, God will honor it because he's going to know what's in your secret place, isn't he? God knows the condition of your heart. So we're going to break it down verse by verse and see what we end up with. First, do our prayers need to be long and flowery and use big words? No. Do our prayers need to be out loud so that everyone can hear them? Well, they do if you're standing up here leading prayer. <laughs> if you're in a group, then you're called one to lead a prayer or have a blessing. Yes, it needs to be out loud. But if you're just praying for yourself, you're not going to go down on Baltimore Street and just stand out loud and pray so that people are going to look at you. You might stand up there and preach so that people hear the word, but you're not going to stand up there and just pray long and all for an hour. You're not going to do that because it doesn't glorify God. It glorifies you. What good would come out of 
if we talk to God, the only time that we talk to God, if it was when we were in public and out loud. What kind of relationship would that say you had with God? If that's the only time you prayed was out loud in a group. You would be like the husband or wife who only talk to their family when they're in a public setting for everybody to hear. So everybody would think, oh, this, these are such great parents, right? They look how they interact with their kids. And yet when they go home, nobody says a word to anybody. That's our, how our relationship with God is. If we can only talk to him in public and we don't talk to him in private, what kind of a relationship do we have? So prayer is a very big thing. Prayer is your your conversation with God. It's the way you get to know him. It's the way you have a relationship with him. You learn it from reading his word, for sure. You learn who he is. But you only know somebody when you talk to them. Is that how you get to know people? You don't get to know somebody just by sitting there and looking at them or sitting beside them and never saying a word. You don't know who they are. It's only by talking with them that you learn who somebody is, that you learn and have a relationship and build a relationship. We need to make it a priority that we spend that private time talking to God. Just like the man or the woman that only talks in public, they should desire to spend time with their family. That should be their desire, their utmost desire. What they want to do more than anything is to be with those they love. And that needs to be our priority as well, to spend that time with the Lord. We should make it a priority so that we get to know him. There's no other way. You're only going to know him when you start talking to him. It's a big deal. We have to tell him how much we love him. So our prayer should be in private between you and me and God, between ourselves and God. Not showy and stiff. They need to be heartfelt. So on to verse 9. Our Father in heaven. This is teaching us to whom to address our prayers. You could use different words. You know, I don't know what you use when you pray. You might use Creator God or Heavenly Father, Great Jehovah. I don't know, something that exalts Him, something that says who He is. You might say Daddy God. Some people call him Papa, Papa God. They have, you know, that's their, their, their prayer language to God. It's personal. Whatever your personal relationship is with him, find your words. Find your words that tell you and tell him who you are to him and who he is to you. So moving on. Hallowed be thy name. What's that telling us? It's telling us to worship God, to acknowledge his holiness. Some words I use are my creator God, or if I'm praying for a healing for somebody, I'll call him my healer. Sometimes it's creator. If I'm out walking or I'm in the ocean, and and my best prayer time, I'm going to tell you right now, it isn't at home in the closet. It's when I'm outside. I have the best prayer time when I'm outside. Used to be on the lawnmower. Ronnie don't let me drive the lawnmower that much anymore. So now it's when I'm walking or, or if I'm out on the porch or walking in the yard or if I'm at the ocean, which is my happy place, you know. But anyway, that's where I have my best prayer times is when I'm outside and I'm alone with God. And then I look at him and I look around and I say, oh, creator God, you are so good. We're acknowledging who he is. We're acknowledging his holiness, his greatness. We're lifting him up. We're worshiping him. We're glorifying him. He wants us to understand who he is 
and he wants us to and he wants to remind us of that as well. Remember, he doesn't need to be reminded who he is. We need to be reminded who he is. Has anybody heard the song and I'm not sure who writes it, who sings it. It's a popular song that said, "God, when did I forget that you are God and I am not?" And you know, we go into our prayers and we might give God a lot of, oh, Lord, please, or I want and I need, but we need to remember that he is God and we are not. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 4, 17, and this is from the New King James, says, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did he mean by that? Jesus was the kingdom of heaven come on earth, wasn't he? Jesus represented the climax of God's plan to establish his kingdom. In Jesus, the sovereign power of the kingdom was present in flesh among humanity on earth. The kingdom had come to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. When we say these, this verse of the prayer, we're saying, Jesus, have your way here on earth. Have your way in my life. We're acknowledging that it is God's will and his plans that are in control and not ours. He alone is sovereign. He alone is our king. He alone is in control. And by saying this, type, this part of the prayer, we're recognizing that fact and submitting to his authority. We're both basically saying, I am yours, like we just sang in that song. I am yours and you are mine. We're asking for God's kingdom to be among us. And as we do his will, his kingdom is acknowledged and we are ushered into his kingdom, not in a physical way, but in a spiritual way, in the spiritual realm. We're ushered into his glory. And then we're then, by, by doing that, we're dwelling with him spiritually and asking God to be made known to those who don't yet know him. That needs to be a big part of our prayer. We're in essence telling him that we trust him with every aspect of our lives. And how hard is that to do? Can we really say, God, I trust you with everything. I trust you with my kids. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my health. I trust you with my relationships. I trust you with my test or my schoolwork. I trust you with my friendships. I lay it all at your feet. I trust you with it. That's pretty hard to do, isn't it? It's hard when you've got a daughter who's got cancer to say, Lord, I trust you with this. I trust you, or a wife that's got cancer, or maybe it's a husband. I don't know. Maybe it's a relationship. It's hard to say, God, here's the situation. I trust you with it. I leave it with you. It's hard. But that's what we have to do. That's part of our relationship is trusting him with it, whatever it is. Verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. Pretty straightforward, right? I think we're just telling him, I trust you. I trust you're going to provide for me today. I trust you're going to give me the food I need, the clothes I need, the the things I need, not the things I want, the things I need. We may want a big old fat ice cream cone. We don't need a big fat ice cream cone, so we might not get a big old fat ice cream cone. And believe me, I always want a big old fat ice cream cone. So we're saying, I trust you with that you're going to supply my needs. Matthew 6, 31 through 32, and again, this is New King James, says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, 
what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly fathers knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Verse 12, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Some versions read debts and debtors. But it simply means those who may have wronged us in some way or may owe us. This is a really critical part of the prayer, isn't it? We ask God to forgive us, but we cannot, but if we can't forgive others who have wronged us, wouldn't it be rather hypocritical to ask to be forgiven? If we can't forgive, will God forgive us? If we can't forgive others, is God going to forgive us? This is of such importance that Jesus went on. He went on and took the time right then to explain this prayer. It just goes on right after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If we can't forgive others, he won't forgive us. That's hard. You know, we always, we always like to say, all you got to do is ask and you're going to be forgiven. But this tells me a little bit different, doesn't it? It says you have to forgive to be forgiven. And that's hard. Matthew 18, 21 through 35 says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? We were talking about this today. Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, or basically forever, just endlessly. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owned him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with the compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. Can you just see it? Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down. At his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all, just like he did with the master, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he could pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was very angry and delivered him to the torturers until he could pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if you, each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Think about that. Do we need to forgive? 
it's a pretty big part of it, isn't it? 1 John 2, 9 through 11. I know there's a lot of scripture, but we need it. Anyone who claims to be in light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in darkness. He does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded him. Does hatred cause unforgiveness, or does unforgiveness cause hatred? Both? Who said that? Scott? Either way, it's not a good condition for our heart to be in, is it? If hatred causes unforgiveness or unforgiveness causes hatred, it's a bad place for our heart. It, it makes, it puts a root of bitterness in our heart. And it's just, I don't know how many of you have seen that tree up there that has that big old root ball on it. You know, roots grow deep. They just, and roots are hard. Have you ever tried to dig a root out of a garden or a flower bed? And Yeah, it's not fun, is it? I've got crabgrass. And you, you think you've got it all, and you, you can dig and dig, and you get that piece of grass, and you lift it up, and, and the root keeps going, and, and next thing you know, it's over here, and then it's over there, and you think you've got it all. Roots grow deep, and they, get their, their, they hold on. We've got to keep that root of bitterness, that root of unforgiveness out of our hearts because it's hard to get out of there. When we ask God, why don't you give me what I pray for, might be the answer. Be certain you have forgiven before you ask God to forgive you. This also tells me that if we're not in the right heart toward God, maybe our other prayers aren't going to be as effective. Ask daily, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. If you have bitterness in your heart, say, God, I don't want this anymore. Help me get rid of it. Help me to get rid of it. Help me to forgive. Help me. He doesn't say we can forget. He can forget. I've not read anywhere that God says, you can forget. It says forgive. We may never forget, but we need to forgive. We have that capability. I'm not sure we have the capability to forget. Well, some of us might. (laughs) Some of us can forget what we did yesterday. But generally, we don't forget something that's been done to us. But we need to forgive. That doesn't mean you have to put yourself back in a situation that, that caused the trouble. But you need to forgive. You know, all of our sins are not sins that we do purposefully. Some things are sins of omission that we don't even know we're doing. And it's basically something that we should have done that we didn't do. You ever think, thought of that? Anybody ever known they should have done something but didn't do it? It's just as much a sin as doing something that you shouldn't have done. Sin begins with our allowing our mind to dwell on what it should not. Philippians 4, 8 says, and I brought the wrong glasses, so bear with me because this print's a lot smaller. Summing it all up, friends, and this is out of the Message Bible, and they're not going to have this on screen. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say to you, you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me and what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. 
So we need to put things in our mind that are good things. Don't dwell on things that are negative, things that are bad. Think about good things. Think about God. And, you know, if you get into the habit of, of doing that, if, you're, if you think of something that you know you shouldn't be thinking of, put a hymn into your mind if you're into a song or if you're not into music. Get something else into your mind that's positive, something that, that speaks to you. Make it personal to you. But think positive things. Think good things. Keep your mind. Keep your mind on Christ. You know, sometimes when I'm going to bed at night and I've got things mulling through my head and I, I can't get to sleep, I'll, I'll start thinking of a hymn or I'll start to pray and hymns will start going through my mind or, or praise songs because I'm a music person. I can't sing, but I love it. I love music. And, and, and the words just will start coming through my mind and I'll start praising him. And you know, pretty soon you find yourself relaxing and going to sleep because you're putting your mind where it needs to be. Don't be too proudful to think that you are doing everything perfect because none of us are perfect. I'd be willing to bet that most of us sin daily. Maybe not all. And if you're not one of them, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. But if you're not sure, if you think you might sin daily, it would be a good idea daily to ask for forgiveness. I know I have to because I am far from perfect. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Don't be too proud. One little note of what sin is. The translation of sin means to miss the mark. The mark being the standard of perfection established by God and evidenced by Jesus. Are we missing the mark? Verse 13. But lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There are two thoughts here on what temptation means. The first is trial. But since a trial often makes us stronger and something that we can learn from is believe that temptation here means to lure away from God or to lure us away from what his will is for us. So who is the evil one? Satan. Satan. So here we're simply asking God's protection from temptation, from what Satan wants to put in our minds. What tempts us? Fame? Money? Pleasure? Things? Cars, boats, trips, jewelry? I don't know. Physical pleasure? Love? Bitterness? Anger? All that can be a temptation. Acceptance can be a temptation. You know, we do a lot of things to be accepted. The list can just go on and on. I could probably go on and on, but I'm not going to. But the point is, Satan will use these things to lure you away from God. If we let him, he will lure us away. So really, our prayers simply need to be us talking with God. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be long. But it needs to be heartfelt. It needs to be a conversation with a father and his children. Talk to him and talk to God earnestly with your heart. Use your emotions. Use the recipe or template that Jesus gave us. Back when we were in Holy Cross years and years ago, we were in a Sunday school class, and one of the, the lessons was to take the Lord's Prayer and personalize it. And that has stuck with me for all these years. And I urge you guys to look at that and do that. Just, you don't have to write it down, but look at it and put yourself in each verse and, and what those verses mean to you. Personalize it. 
I'm going to give you several verses here as we finish up, just little things. If those that keep notes, you, you, if you have something about prayer, you might want to write them down. And here's another thing. Prayer can be many different forms. It can take forms. It can be some people prayer journal. Some people pray out loud. Some people pray in quiet. Some people pray with song. Some people might pray only in their cars or, you know, if they spend a lot of time in their cars. Prayer can look very different for many people. Some people might pray by writing a book. You know, they just write out their prayers. And it, it can be many different things. Some people pray in poetry. I don't know what prayer looks like for you, but I pray that you find out what that is. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Psalm 145.18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Proverbs 15.29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but hears the prayers of the righteous. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So just some things that if you'd like to jot things down, these are things you can reference. And in closing, I want to leave you with this. Um, it's called An Empty Chair, and the author is unknown. But this really speaks to how our prayer relationship needs to be with God. A man's daughter had asked the local pastor to come and pray with her father. And when the pastor arrived, he found the, the man lying in bed with his head propped up on two pillows in an empty chair beside his bed. The pastor assumed that the old fellow had been informed of his visit. I guess you were expecting me, he said. No, who are you? Well, I'm the new associate pastor at your church, the pastor replied, and when I saw the empty chair, I figured you knew I was going to show up. Oh, yeah, the chair, said the bedridden man. Would you mind closing the door? Puzzled, the pastor got up and shut the door. I've never told anyone this, not even my daughter, said the man, but all of my life I have never known how to pray. At church, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it always went right over my head. I abandoned any attempt at prayer, the old man continued, until one day about four years ago, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. Here's what I suggest. Sit down on a chair and place an empty chair in front of you. And in faith, see Jesus on that chair. It's not spooky because he promised I'll always be with you. Then speak to him and listen in the same way you're doing with me right now. So I tried it, and I've liked it so much that I do it a couple hours every day. I'm careful, though. If my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, she'd either have a nervous breakdown or send me off to the funny farm. The pastor was deeply moved by the story and encouraged the old guy to continue on the journey. Then he prayed with him and returned to the church. Two nights later, the daughter called to tell the pastor that her daddy had died that afternoon. Did he seem to die in peace, he asked. Yes, when I left the house around two, he called me over to his bedside, told me one of his corny jokes, and kissed me on the cheek. When I got back from the store an hour later, I found him dead. But there was something strange, in fact, beyond strange, kind of weird. Apparently, just before Daddy died, he leaned over and rested his head on the chair beside the bed. Your prayer needs to be personal. It needs to be you talking with God. We need to learn to have that kind of relationship with God, don't we?